0: We heard this quote from Abraham Lincoln, I care not for a man's religion, whose dog and cat are not the better for it. <laughs> that means that uh, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be nicer because you are. I had a funeral this uh, winter on a really bitter, cold day. A woman walked up to me at the funeral, and she said, You don't know me, but I know your neighbor, Candace, who lives across the street from you. She talks about you all the time, you and your family. I said, Oh, that's nice. What did she say? She says, well, she says she hears your daughter sometimes. I'm like, oh, what does she hear? (laughs) She says, it's just beautiful when she hears them singing. I'm like, oh, yes, that's what I think too. They're like their mom and dad. Sometimes they have uh, discussions that you'd really rather the neighbors didn't hear. So I was so glad to hear that it was the music she remembered. Hopefully that would make her heart really open when we talk to her about the Lord, How what she observes about her family. And so it is with the church. There's a world all around us just so desperately in need of what we know. And will they hear us? Will they listen when they pay attention to the way we behave toward each other? John the Apostle of course, wrote the Gospel of John and the, the Epistles of John, the little letters to the churches. John was uh, an early disciple of Jesus. He was the son of Zebedee. Again, wrote the Gospel of John. He was the the, 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 the uh, disciple called the Beloved Disciple, who reclined next to Jesus during the Last Supper. It was John who stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. It was John to whom Jesus trusted entrusted his mother's care when he was dying. John witnessed the empty tomb with Peter on resurrection morning and believed right away. He also saw and spoke with, with uh, and ate breakfast with Jesus at that lakeside fire uh, kindled by the resurrected Christ. John was there then, too, and other post-resurrection appearances. And the epistles of John, the letters, are some of the last writings... In the New Testament, written about 85 to 95 BC, these these were the last words to the church, the Epistles of John. So the last words to the churches, and the last word of the churches. If you look in First John and you study the five chapters of First John, there are three themes that are intermingled. They come like they're treated in a symphonic way. They're themes that just keep coming back together and weaving back and forth. And they are, who is Jesus Christ? And there was some current heresy that John was pushing back against. Who is Jesus Christ? That he actually really did come in the flesh. And there was that real Christians obey the commands of Christ. And the third theme that's really throughout 1 John is this theme. I'm calling in the last word of the churches, the theme of love one another not love the lost, that's kind of assumed, not even love God, that's kind of assumed in the little letters to the churches, the last word of the churches. What did this aged apostle who had been so close to Jesus have on his heart for the churches? You know, he didn't talk, of, uh, he, didn't, he didn't spend a long, long time talking about personal holiness. He didn't spend a long, long time talking about various different doctrines, though he strongly affirmed the humanity of Christ here. But what he repeated over and over again in his last word of the churches was just simple. If you're a Christian, really love one another. It's important. It's the last word of the churches. Why is it important? Let me give you some reasons. Because followers, uh, of, we're followers of Jesus, right? And followers of Jesus should do what he likes and what he wants. And how can you tell what Jesus wants? Well, what he prayed for in John 17. In the, in the high priestly prayer, they call it, just before Jesus died, one of the things he prayed, remember this, that we all may be one as I and the Father are one. Please love each other. Jesus Christ, who we all adore, am I right? I was at a sandwich shop yesterday, and there was a young man there waiting on us. Did you notice that, Lois? He had a big medallion of Jesus on, his, on a chain around his neck. And I said, I love your medallion. He's precious to me. Is he precious to you? Jesus, is Jesus precious to you? Did I confuse you? You go, I never met the kid at the sandwich shop. You know, I'm not talking about him. Is Jesus precious to you? How many of you love him? Amen. We're followers of Jesus. That's why we're here. He's the only one who's never disappointed us. He's the one who shed his blood on Calvary for us. Jesus is the one that gives us hope of eternal life when sad news comes into our hearts. Without him, where would we be? How would we survive? If it wasn't for Jesus, I don't know about you, but whatever he wants, I want. If Jesus comes into my life and he says, this is something that's important to me, Ken, then I say to Jesus, then Jesus, I'm all ears. Whatever's important to you is important to me. And one of the last things Jesus prayed was that his followers would love each other. That's in John 17. And the Bible says in John 13, and we studied this a few weeks ago at the beginning of the series, that authentic faith that's expressed in love has a magnetic effect. By this will all men know you are my disciples. Authentic love among Christian people has a magnetic effect. It's better than anything else that we can do to sincerely draw people to consider Christ. Is this the kindness and the love that we have for one another? And that's in John 13, and we already studied that. But then we arrive here in 1 John it's when we love each other that we know we're really saved. Take your Bibles and look in First John chapter 3. I want to read to you a series of things from First John. And again, the way that the, the epistle is arranged, it has these three themes that just kind of keep bubbling back up and down in it. So it's not like he deals with one and then another and then another. He deals with all three and they're kind of woven together in a symphonic kind of arrangement. And so we'll, we'll just cherry pick, if you will, some, some of what this aged apostle who is this close to Christ, said in some of his last words to the church. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read now in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Nor is he who doesn't love his brother. This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You're still unsaved if you really don't have any love for your brothers. Verse 17. This is 1 John 3, 17. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verse 7 of chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. Love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I hope you don't hear me uh, speaking in a harsh tone. I, I don't have a harsh tone. But here's what I think. If you're like I am, and you read these things, there's a place for repentance here for all of us probably. How many of us have loved as we ought to have loved? How many of us have had the compassion, the care, the concern for our brothers that we ought to today, church. One of the things I would suggest to you is what I told Hope the other day when we were driving along in the car and we were just talking about how to grow closer to the Lord. And one of the things I told her, a whole bunch of things, the poor little thing I preached to her for about a half an hour. One of the things I said to her, Hope, was uh, if you want to get close to the Lord, then go through your life and look for anything that's wrong and ask forgiveness. Claim forgiveness from the Lord. And this would be a great place to start. Have I loved the brethren? The irritating, rough around the edges. Sometimes they bug me, brethren. Have I loved the brethren? Have I loved my brothers and my sisters and the Lord, other Christians? Well, this would be a place, if you want to get closer to the Lord, then identify areas where you've either neglected or ignored or, or God forbid, actually harmed a, a brother or sister in the Lord and confess it and make that right, and you will get closer to the Lord. So I hope that the message today helps you, as it's helped me this week, just to repent into Christ more, just to be humble and honest and broken. I think it's probably appropriate for most of us. Now I'm going to continue reading. Chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is right after it says God gave his, Jesus gave his life for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We who have been the recipients of God's great love, how can we withhold love from other people? Verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Verse 20, chapter 4, if someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must Love his brother also. Verse 2 of chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why is this important? It's important that we build an authentic community of of, of genuine love, an an irresistible community of, of love because we're followers of Jesus, and that's what he wanted, and it's what he prayed for. It's important because it's only then that we know that our faith is authentic. Only when we have love in our hearts for other believers do we realize, yes, that's the mark of authentic faith. A third thing, a third reason is that it's this kind of love, that love can be seen as kind of the glue that keeps the community together. And that's important that we do. Like if you just think about your own kids, that you want to glue them into God. Don't you want to glue them into Christ? Don't you want to see them just adhere to Christ throughout their lives, through all the stuff that they're going to have to face in life, they're going to need the Lord? And isn't that what you want for them, just more than any other thing? A couple of my boys are long ago, a long ways away from here in Texas, and they find girls in Texas. I'm like, that wasn't the program. Just so stay home and do that. And so then you know you know you're you're reduced to following social media to evaluate the faith and character and virtue of the girls they're seeing. It's kind of. Wes and I are texting. I'm like, "Tell me about this girl." I'm asking a bunch of probing personal questions. And one of the things he says to me is, "Dad, I've been with her a lot, and I've never heard her say an unkind word about another person." And then I said, "Well, then she's better than your dad." That's a good thing. I wonder if, wouldn't it be, i thought about that this week. I I would like to be able to start, you know, draw a line in my life and go, okay, from now on, they're going to say that Ken Pierpont, I've never heard him say an unkind word about another person. (laughs) Even a Wolverine, just nobody, just... That was just for Rich because I wanted to keep him awake today. You know, real love glues us together even my joyful kidding, right there. You know, I didn't mean it. I love you. I'm married to Wolverine, and I love her too. So this is the love that glues us into the family, and that's important. Jeremiah Winsler, J. Winsler, grew up in the church, a Christian family. We became buddies with the pastor's son, and the church got into a fuss. And the people mistreated the pastor. And the pastor was not without fault himself. No pastor ever is. But it hurt the pastor's kid. And the pastor's kid decided that he didn't really want to be around church people anymore. And then Jay decided he didn't want to be around church people anymore. And Jeremiah Winsler walked away from the Lord. And he walked away from the Lord at a really bad time. When he was young. And he was making important decisions. He walked away from the Lord. And he met a girl who didn't know the Lord. Wasn't raised in the church. She didn't have a clue. But he loved her. He married her. And then they tried to start their wedding. Their marriage was hard. She was sad. He was sad. And then she met a group of ladies. They were very kind, very loving to each other and to her. More and more, she found herself wanting to be around these ladies Until finally, they invited her to her to their church, and she went. And Jay said, "I'm not interested." This week, I got to be in Jay's home. I got to look into his eyes, into the eyes of his wife and his children. He's come to walk with the Lord again. The whole family is following the Lord, and you can see it in their eyes. You can see the faith of Christ in their eyes. You can see it in the joy of their children. God forbid, that Christian people would fail to glue our loved ones into Christ because we simply didn't love. That's the basic word that John, that Jesus gave to the church. The last prayer of Jesus, the last word of John, can I please ask you to just love each other? It doesn't take deep teaching to love each other. It doesn't take Conjugating Greek verbs to understand how to love each other. It doesn't take literary analysis of the text to understand that you're supposed to love each other. Anybody should be able to understand that. Allow me this talk with my daughter yesterday, who lives in Wisconsin, and by the providence of God there, In a beautiful place in Wisconsin, her husband, Austin, who was raised here in the church, and thank you, by the way, for raising him and teaching him and loving him. I'm grateful to you all every day for doing that. He's in a very hard way. He's a, he's a police officer, and he faces really hard things all the time. Very hard for him. Very difficult. And they realized they needed the help of a local church, and a local church stepped in and helped them and loved them. Got them connected in small groups and counseling and so forth. I don't want my kids to you know just go to church on Sunday morning. I want a church to love on them and help them. That's the kind of church I want to be. I want to be here for when kids are hurting and they need counsel. When they need help. When they need somebody to pray with them. When they need a more than just preaching, as powerful and important as preaching is, They need a cluster of other Christians who will pray right with them and listen to their hurts and hold them accountable and know their kids' names and show up when they need them. That's the kind of church that we want to be. And that's the heart of, as a church, that's the heart of our discipleship strategy is love. Love is at the heart of our strategy to make disciples of Christ here in this church. Love is at the heart of our strategy to reach lost people for Christ. It's at the very heart of it. It's the beginning and the middle and the end of it. How do we reach lost people for Christ? We love them first. We pray for them, which is an act of love, and then we love them actively. And as we pray for them and love them, then their hearts just kind of melt and open, and we see the cracks, and we go through the cracks with the gospel, which they have to have. But we rarely get a chance to do that until we love them. And how can we say that we love lost people if we don't love our brothers and our sisters? That would be hypocrisy. And so this is an important thing. How can we do this? I'm going to need you to advance through the slides because I don't have it. I don't think here. So you're pretty sure. Yeah, you're all over this. Thank you. How can we do this? First, treat all other Christians with love. I read 1 John to you. That's the text behind this. Treat all other Christians with love. Like I said, you don't need deep teaching on that. You just need a little gentle reminder. Just treat all other Christians with love. Before that word comes out, catch it and say, no, that's not a loving word. When you feel a sense of irritation or hurt, just take it to the Lord and say, no, no, this is my brother. I must love him. No, no, this would be people that are in our church and people that are in other churches too. All believers, right? All believers. Every one of them. God help us, right? That's number one. Second, number two, start small and simple. Don't wait around for big opportunities. They may come, but don't wait for big opportunities. Just love people. The whole law of God is fulfilled by just loving people. Make a note of Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law is fulfilled in one word, and this is it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said this. So Paul, in Galatians, is quoting Peter to people who were worked up about the law. He said, you want to keep the whole law? Do it, Jesus said. Love people. And you keep the law. So arguments you know, about law and all that, we can set them aside by just simply doing the thing that's loving. And it's repeated in Romans thirteen eight 8-10. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder... You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I love that. It's simple. I like simple things. So what has Jesus said to us? And what has Paul said to us? What has John said to us? What's the spirit is saying to the church? And that is, just love other Christians And start with small, simple things. Don't just wait for the big things. Certainly we need to be there in those big crisis times. But just in the small and simple things. When I first came here, we did a series on Sunday night. On Titus and we call it the little red book of church. I take off on Harvey pinnock 's golf book. Simple stuff and it's just like a primer on church. And when you look in Titus and you see this is God's word about the church, you know, books are written, That big thick books are written about the church these days and big seminars are given and all kinds of, you know, business principles are brought in and leadership principles and, and uh, you know, integrated Christian psychological principles and you can get really confused like too many golf tips and you can really mess up church. Or you can just go to the Bible and you go look at Titus. And what does it say? It says godly older women, godly younger women, godly older men, godly younger men, godly leaders doing good works in Christ's name. And that's what church is supposed to be about. That's what we want to be about. It's simple. So start small and simple. Don't wait for a big crowd. I was I was uh, at the, the character end and I was like, doing itinerant preaching and, I, and I, my, my schedule was mostly full. But it always bothered me when it wasn't. If I had a, a Sunday and I wasn't preaching, it just really bothered me. I remember I was standing high in the, in, the, in the building one day and I was looking out on the street in downtown Flint. And I was praying and I was saying, God... Here I am, your faithful servant. You know I love to preach. Is there some place you want me to preach? Send me someplace. In my mind, I had the idea of kind of like here, hundreds of people, you know. And and, the, and it felt like the Lord said, yes, go down there right now. You see that guy on the street, the bum, a broken guy? Go talk to him. If you won't talk to him, I'm not interested in using you anywhere else. That's what I heard. I said, yes, sir. When I was a real young, and I, I, I knew I wanted to preach, i I preach in jail, preach in rest home, preach wherever I'm asked. It's still that way, if I, if I can't. God isn't really looking for people that say, if you got a big job, I'll do it. <laughs> God's looking for people that that will just say, where you want me to serve? I'll serve you. Listen, you might want to be a great writer, you know, and Imagine, you know, getting a book contract from a major publisher and maybe doing a a nationwide tour and being on the television and radio talking about your book and people buying your book and you getting wealthy. But that's kind of unlikely, right? Maybe the writing he has put on your heart is sit down right now and write a note to an elderly saint that doesn't have email and tell them how important they are to you and how much you love them. Write your boy, write your mom. Make a a thank you note. That's the kind of writing. Max Lucado, you ever heard of him? He's kind of a well-known writer, but he didn't start by going, I want to be a well-known, wealthy writer. He was a missionary in Brazil. He started by writing little, uh, little writings for the church newsletter. And the writings for the church newsletter, people thought, wow, he did a great job on those little things in the church. His first book is simply a collection of writings from the church newsletter. Some of the greatest things that are ever done are not really great things at all. They're just regular things. They're just kindnesses that are rendered to the people that God puts in your path. They're loving the brothers and the sisters. And you can do that, and I can do that too. So that's number two. Start with small and simple. Number three is make regular deposits. In other words, you're doing small simple things, but you're doing them faithfully and regularly. I'm using the example of Stephen. They're looking for a guy to wait tables. They're looking for a guy to help in the distribution of food. Just like there's been a lot of work going into the next hour. When I'm done talking, we're going to go outside and eat. And the Lord gave us some nice weather here. And there's been a lot of work done out there. Faithful people organizing and helping and and, uh, really setting up the tables. And then there'll be the breaking down the tables and all of that. And for good things to happen, it takes a lot of just helpful behind-the-scenes kind of work. And we're really grateful for people who do that. That's the way Stephen was. But it wasn't like he was spiritually uh, substandard, was he? In Acts chapter 6, if you read about Stephen, he was spirit-filled and wise. And God used him in a big way, didn't he? God entrusted Stephen in a big way. He's got a big chunk of the Bible that's written about him. Happens to be about him dying faithfully. But it started out with just repeated, simple obedience And so I don't need to belabor that. You know, you get that, I'm sure. Harold and Cora Lyons, you remember them, Lois, from our first church? We were so young, and they were elderly, and they were really careful with their money, and they worked common jobs, but they would invite us to their home, and they would share food with us and share counsel with us. I think they could tell we needed a lot of counsel. And they uh, brought us to their home, and do you remember this, Lois? They would get out their little passbook. They would get out their little savings book. Do you remember this? They would come over like we didn't know what one looked like, and we would say, this is a savings book. And look here, and they would turn to the beginning, and they said, back right after the Depression, you know, we started saving right here. This was 39 cents a week and 60 cents a week and whatever. And then they would, there was a mark where there was a withdrawal, and they said, this is when our daughter got sick, and we had to buy medicine. There was no other way to do it. We had to take money out of the bank. But there was just little amounts of money that they put in. They were well. They were well-to-do people. And it wasn't because they... Made a lot of money, it's because they saved a lot in small ways. Plus well, admired that. That's kind of the picture here. The kingdom of God goes forward not in great acts of valor and courage, as often as it goes forward in just like simple and repeated acts of obedience. And so that's important. And then number four, be selfish. Be selfish. Notice that's in quotes. This is consistently what the Bible teaches consistently, the Bible teaches, you have a desire to be happy that God gave you, and that's not bad. You have a legitimate self-interest. You cannot be a people and not have a legitimate self-interest. Go ahead, relax. The pastor's teaching you this. You ever have somebody try to tell you not to be interested in yourself? That's like not being a people. When you don't have a heartbeat anymore, you won't be interested in yourself. Until then, you will be interested in yourself. Now, what do you do For your happiness, that's the key thing. You're going to have a legitimate self interest because it's what it means to draw air and breath and have a soul and have a heart. And the Bible never denies that. Jesus himself continually appealed to people if you want to be happy as if it was legitimate to want to be happy, here's how you can be happy. Don't just live for yourself. But live for others. And here's how Jesus expressed it. We don't know when and where he expressed it. All we know is that Paul quoted it when he met in Miletus with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. And he said, I have worked with my hands to give to you. And I've loved giving to you. I'm paraphrasing. Because remember the words of Jesus. It's more blessed. It's happier to give than it is to receive. It makes you happier to give than it does to receive. That's what Jesus said. And so, in other words, it's legitimate to want to be happy. And Jesus said in a kind of unusual, uh, you know, know, counterintuitive twist, the way to happiness is to give and to love and to serve. Now, last Sunday, I spoke on this, and one of our couples uh, was, I think, on their way home. They stopped at a store, or shortly thereafter, they went to a store. In the store, this truth was kind of in their heart. In the store, they saw a woman who obviously didn't have much, and she was just trying to take little money that she had and put together what she had to get a few groceries that were so small amount of groceries. And, and they overheard that she was going to try to get them to last for a week. And I don't know if she was having trouble with her card. And they stepped up and said, come, come with us. Why, why don't you come with us? And they helped her, and they got her more things. And then they swiped their card, and they paid for her things. And I, and I talked with them. And here was the way it worked it's like we just felt so happy. It was so fulfilling to do that. It's like more fun to buy groceries for other people than it is to buy groceries for yourself. That's what Jesus said. It's more blessed, it's happier to give. So in that way, practice that kind of lifelong selfishness if you understand what I'm saying. And number five is operate as a team. God never intended for us to do these things alone. He, he gave us different gifts so that we work together as a team. First Corinthians 12:21 says, "The eye can 't say to the hand, "I have no need of you, nor the heart, the, the head to the feet, I don 't have a need of you." The New Testament letters were not written to individuals primarily. they were written to clusters of Jesus' followers, and everything should be taken kind of plural like that. Even the Great commission was given to a group. And so you might think, well, I'm not the best at this or that. No, but get with a team and create a little team. And then together as a team, you can accomplish things. That's the way God wants you to do it. And that's why we have this emphasis on groups that we're talking about in our church. We'll talk more, especially as we approach the fall and we break into a new season of grow groups. But if you're in an ABF or a grow group or a Bible study or a small group or a little team, that's great. There's a part of that you need. Not there's, there's a power that God says is going to be in the public proclamation and the teaching of the word. And that's why we are always going to give a priority to the teaching of the word. But you're never really going to enjoy the richness of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Unless you get in a little circle and you look people in the face and you cry with them and you laugh with them and you listen to them and you care about them. That's what it means to be Christian. You've got to get into a little circle of some kind. You've got to get involved in in people's lives. They need you. You need them. Jeff Mannion, the pastor of Ada Bible Church, he expresses it like this. He calls it the row and the circle and the chair. And he says that it's important that people come and sit in a row, hear the preaching of the Word, sing together in corporate worship, but then they need to get into a circle and then they need to have a time alone with the Lord. Now, my son... Kyle was moving. He had to move all of his stuff. He and his family. Moving is horrific, is it not? Just horrible. I hate moving. So my son is moving, and, I, and I'm listening, and it sounds like he doesn't have enough help moving. Indeed, he did not. So I go to his house, Hope and I. We go to his house, the moving crew, and there is a lot of work to be done. Uh, they, they did the prep great, but there was just a lot of stuff to put on the trucks, and so we worked And we worked and we worked. A guy from the church came over and helped out. Young guy that could stride up and down stairs really fast. And he helped us load everything up. And that was neat. But it got really late. I knew it would. And I knew I wouldn't have time to help him the next day. I had responsibilities here. I said, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to help you on the other end. And then I thought about, well, how's he going to get these appliances off this truck? How's he going to get this big couch off this truck? I talked to him. And I said, tell me how it went, he wrote me, and he said, well, it was raining, and I was discouraged. It was little Kyle's birthday, and I wanted to take him out for his birthday, but I couldn't because I had to unload the trucks, and I was alone, and Elizabeth had to watch the boys, and I was depressed. It was raining, and I prayed that God would let the rain let up so I could wrestle all the stuff off of the truck, and then somebody texted me from the church. A friend from his small group in the church texted him and said, I heard you might be moving today. Could you use some help? He said, yes. The guy had a project that day, but he dropped it immediately. And 10 minutes later, he came over and he stayed with him until it was all done. That, that is church. That is what we're talking about right here. That's the kind of guy I want to be. That's the kind of church we want to be. And and you're at your best when you are like that. And you are often like that. I was reading a book. I don't know why I read these books about farming. <laughs> Just on my day off, I sometimes read books about farming. I wrote a book about a farm. I read a book about far, uh, some folk that did some homesteading up in New York. And, and this is the experience they had as they were trying to homestead in this, this barren plot of ground. A bit of an extended quote, but it's worthwhile. Listen. By the time the tent was pegged down, it was nearly dark. We retrieved our bikes and we retraced the last part of our ride back to the village of Essex. I was bone tired and the only thing I wanted more than sleep was food. For some reason, we failed to bring provisions and my blood sugar was dropping below the level required to keep me sane. I wanted food like a wolf wants food. I wanted food so bad I was angry about it. I sat on a bench outside the town hall while Mark went to explore our options, the wife says. He returned and he sat down and he put his arm warily around me before delivering bad news. The only place to eat was the inn and they wouldn't take us in despite the empty tables we could see through the window because we didn't have a reservation and we weren't dressed properly. There were no stores and the next town was five mile bike ride away, mostly uphill. It was fully dark now and I didn't think I could make it back to the farm, let alone get to the next town to get something to eat. I considered whether or not I'd be arrested if I were to sleep on a bench, and I decided I wanted to be arrested because they'd be required to give me a ride to jail in the car, and they would feed me. It'd probably be something perfectly acceptable, like peanut butter sandwiches. The only traffic light in town blinked endlessly to an empty street, and we were fixed in that tableau of misery by the glare of a pair of headlights pulling into the parking space in front of our bench, a man with silver hair got out, carrying a covered casserole dish. He smiled widely at us, noted our bicycles, and asked us where we were from and where we were going. And Mark told him, well, we've come up from Poughkeepsie and we're, we're camping on Essex Farm. Well, he says, are you hungry? Even in my desperation, I could feel the no thank you on the tip of my tongue the city habit of distrust toward any show of unsolicited kindness. But Mark, he had already accepted on our behalf, and the man led us across the street into the basement of a, of a stone church. He opened the door under the sounds of clattering silverware and chatter and laughter rising up from a sea of gray hair. I caught sight of the long tables against the wall, packed with food. I could see plates of sliced ham, baked beans, mashed potatoes, bright colored jello salad studded with fruit and topped with blobs of pastel pastel cool whip. The man who'd brought us asked for everyone's attention and 50 lined faces turned toward us. He introduced us as traveling long distance bicyclist who wouldn't mind some dinner and the room erupted with applause. The next thing I knew, someone had me by the elbow. They were guiding me through the crowd toward the tables laden with calories placed a plate in my hands, poured me a glass of iced tea. I wondered briefly if I was stuck in a dream, if this was some kind of cruel mirage. But soon I was seated and eating. It was the kind of food that grandmothers make, the kind invented to fill the stomach of a ditch digger or a farmhand. I ate biscuits and gravy and green beans and slivered almonds and a drumstick of fried chicken. It was an urn of hot coffee, too, and an entire table dedicated just to desserts. Can I get an amen? Anyone in that basement... Everyone in that basement knew each other intimately and most were in some way related. And many of the people that I met that night, many of the people that I met that night would become very important in our lives. The man who found us on the bench was Wayne Bailey. A few years later, his wife Donna would knit a pink sweater a white, with white piping for our new infant baby girl and a little cap to match. And the small wrinkled woman we sat next to was Pearl Kelly. She told us that night that she loved bicycling and until she turned 90, could no longer get her leg over the bar, she'd bike from her house to the ferry, joy joy ride across the lake. Three years later, I was milking a cow when her daughter-in-law came out to the barn to tell me that she'd died. We went back to the farm that night, fed and warm in all ways, carrying pieces of cake wrapped in napkins. Listen, she says, I was entirely unused to that sort of common kindness. And then she says, I didn't think that communities like this were supposed to exist anymore. Well, it's our job to keep communities like that alive. And it's almost time to eat. So I should probably quit. We're going to do a couple things before we go eat. We're going to sing. And then we have a little special testimony and announcement for you that you're going to want to hear before we go. And then we're going to pray, and we'll go out and and have our, our dinner, okay?